hello, hello. Hey. Just looking okay. on my tea there. <laughs> I'm currently sprawled across my bedroom floor. Well, not my bedroom floor. Someone else's bedroom floor on a carpet. Hoping that this sounds okay. Yeah, your sound's coming through fine. Um, Perfect. I've done okay. the same thing. I've shut all the windows. Oh, good, good. All right. So we've um, we've had a a small break um, because we've been trying to enjoy some post lockdown life. Obviously, um, we've been a bit lazy, and you know what? It's actually really hard doing a podcast. So I actually really appreciate those people that consistently put out episodes. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. Um, so, yeah, kudos to those people. But, yeah, we've had a bit of a break. We've been enjoying life a little bit and uh, relaxing. But now we're ready to come back, aren't we, Shadi? Yeah, definitely. And we've got some good things lined up, I think. There's loads of things in the pipeline. Um, it's just, you know, coordinating with different people because they're all over the world. Um, okay. So we've got some good things coming up. So, yeah, I think um, we'll pick up the momentum. Um, so I'm excited for what's to come. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> are we calling this? Are we calling this season two? By the way, this is season two, right? I mean, we we, we can. I think it just continues. I think it just continues. Like the seasons never finish, start or end. It's like it just goes on and on and on. Um, but yeah, in this episode, um, we talked to my uh, friend Carol, who I used to work with, and he talks to us about how he kind of left the corporate world, went traveling, and how he got into different types of work um, that involves yeah. like the nomad lifestyle. And he talks about the yeah. Wi-Fi tribe. So we should definitely link um, Wi-Fi tribe um, when we post this one. Um, and it's re- I think it's really interesting. I think, Shadi, because you were, it was the first time that you were sort of listening to this lifestyle and this group and community that they've created. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think um, I think you enjoyed it. I definitely did. I, I, I looked into it afterwards and I thought, hang on, can I, can I make this work? <laughs> and then I realised all my commitments I've got in London. <laughs> so I can't just fuck off for like three months yeah when when you guys listen to it you'll understand what what we mean by that um because it's like a nomad type lifestyle um but yeah we hope you guys enjoy the episode and you know shadi welcome back thank you welcome back to you too (laughs) thanks girl um and yeah we hope you guys enjoy and yeah stay tuned in for more episodes whoop whoop Wow, let's say my dance off. I actually can't really see much. You put it back on. I think I'm going to have to do. <laughs> okay, then. All right. Our very first Skype interview. Woo, woo, woo. Welcome, Carol. So, no milk, two sugars. <laughs> um, before we start, um, we should probably talk about why Shadi's voice um, isn't normal today. So, I don't yeah. know if you can uh, tell, Cara, but. My voice was quite a lot deeper than it normally is. Not to say it's never deep, but it's a bit more deep. Um, I had a gym accident yesterday and I basically just hit myself with those, uh, you know, those like eight kilo balls. So yes. I had one of those and it whacked me in my face. And I lost my voice and I've got a really tight locked jaw at the moment as well. It's not funny. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm all good. I didn't break anything. So, yeah. Yeah. First time I've ever heard of that happen, but okay, it's an achievement. 
Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, you know, we haven't actually, we've had a bit of a break as well from recording. Mm. So this is the first one we're doing after a while, like a month or two. Also, a first recording from Shadi B's new digs. Oh yeah, we're in my new place. <laughs> managed to move up. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Shadi managed to hurt herself and damage the only thing that she needs for the podcast recording, which yeah. is her voice. And so we just thought we'd explain that um, to anyone who's listening and to you, Carol, so you understand why she might sound a bit more manly than he told me. Just thought I sounded like a man anyway. I'm just being polite. <laughs> Okay, so in today's episode, the reason we've invited Carol in um, is because we want to talk about the amazing adventure that you've sort of been on over the past, is it four, five years? Time, yeah, about five years, I think. Okay, awesome. So just to introduce like Carol to everyone and to Shadi, Carol and I started working together back in 2012. Um, Yes, that's a really long time ago now. And um, yeah, so we, we worked together. And then after like two or three years of actually working together, we ended up going our separate ways and then doing different things. And what's been really nice is that we both kept in touch throughout the years. Um, I think we even met up once or twice, like after you left. Um, yeah, in London at some point, I remember. Yeah, I think we both kind of just went to different sides of the world and um you know I think it was just cool that we were both at in that same grad group at work and then we both just like ventured out but I think you ventured out a lot more than I did because um, I ended up coming back um so we wanted to talk to you about today was just to understand how you kind of escapes the rat race you know, living that nomad lifestyle or just to find out more about your lifestyle, what you've done. Um, so, yeah, talk to us about how you, I guess, when you first started, what you thought was going to be your career. Did you think you were going to get into like a long term um, corporate job for the rest of your life? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think I was ever like fully on corporate work till the end of, you know, uh till I retire um, I always wanted to work for smaller companies as well and what helped with that is actually the university having done a placement year so I knew what I didn't want so I knew I didn't want to be like a full-on developer I wanted to have a bit of a role that is also to, you know, a bit more business facing and you talk to individuals and don't just sit behind the, the computer coding um, but I wanted you know a decent career that's why I went for consulting and um, yeah IBM sounded like a really solid option where you have a really good career progression and just a lot of potential training and experience that you can gain through it with, with a good salary that comes with that. Mm. Um, are you, sorry, are you a software engineer or? Studied computer science. Okay. Right. Oh, like you. Yeah, like me, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we're I, just a bit of a background about, yeah, you've got a technical background, you started doing software development. Yeah, and that obviously pretty much came about by my family moving to the UK. I would have probably ended up doing some sort of science like chemistry or, or um, uh, physics or something like that with English. 
But when I moved over, I picked something that's very logical that wasn't dependent on me speaking English fluently. Ended up not being an issue after the first three months already. So that that was fine. But I completely fell in love with kind of like the logic aspect of it, the, the coding aspect of creating your own little program. So after I finished high school, I went to university to study computer science because I was very good at you either get it right or you get it wrong. So your grades are dependent on how much you put in rather than the subjective aspect of uh, having to write an essay and maybe the tutor or professor not liking it. And you're like, well, I did my best there. <laughs> where, um, when you said you moved over, where were you living before when you were younger? In, in Germany. So I basically grew up most of my life in Germany uh, from like four or five years old to 16. Before that, I was in Poland, so I was born in Poland. Grew up in Germany and then moved over to the UK. Nice. So you're, you're multilingual. Yeah, exactly. And that's why the problem with writing essays is a third English being the third language. I was like struggled a little bit. Not an issue nowadays, but back then I was like, I don't want to write essays, which I didn't enjoy doing in German anyway. So I just wanted to do the logical kind of like mathematical path, essentially. That's fair enough. So your logical brain took you to uni to do computer science, then you got into IBM, you were there for how long? Four years. Four years. And then, and, and then essentially IBM is actually a really good company to work for. I never had any qualms with, uh, with it because I was lucky. And, and you know, because we worked together, we could work from home. We managed to talk to our you know, superiors and managers and program managers to work from other countries. I remember like asking for permission to work from Cyprus or from Spain. Like, oh, it's like the same as expensing hotels in, in uh, Winchester or Nottingham. Um, can I not just do it from there? The hotel is actually cheaper. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. So I managed to work from all these different places. And oftentimes, actually, on Monday, decide, do I want to go into the office or just want to work from home? And then some of our friends within IBM have been, after some time, you get the right or the privilege, essentially, to go on a sabbatical year. Anything between one, three, six, or 12 months. And I always wanted to travel like at university, I did a six week trip to Southeast Asia and I always wanted to go for a little bit longer than six weeks. Like three months was in my head in my head the right time. Kind of like I want to go and explore and just not have to worry about work, just backpack. So when you actually did finally leave um, IBM, was that to go traveling or was that just just because you wanted to change or? That was to go traveling, exactly. So. This, the way that the sabbatical works is after you're traveling, you still have a job to come back to. And I remember the conversation with, uh, it was actually Alan back then, he was the program manager. I was like, yeah, I'm thinking to go for about three to six months. And he was telling me, um, if you go for like one to three to six months, we'll probably do without you somehow. We just need to document a lot of things. However, if you go from six to 12 months, you need to train someone new up because it's too long that you'll be gone. I was like, did you just say 12 months? I'll take you up on that offer and I go for 12 months. And there was also time I was like looking into buying a property, like an, an apartment, like a small studio somewhere to kind of like get on it. You know, what, what society tells you, that ladder of like property buying, maybe get a car, get a, you know, work on your career, get through the next promotion level. And I was just like, before I get all into all of that, I want to go traveling. 
And another aspect to that was if I spend all my money on like a down payment for, for a flat, I won't have anything left. And I didn't want to have to worry about like working whilst I travel. I just wanted to backpack. So you saved in those four years, like you, you saved money to be able to go and travel and not have to worry about that side of things for a while. Correct. Yeah. Living with parents helps with saving money in London. Yeah. And I think also we were quite lucky that we were working in a different city. So, you know, we were able to save on rent and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, very, very lucky. I, I completely agree. So when you started to have these thoughts to do this I, how long did it take you to actually like from the moment you thought about it to then actually do it and the process of I suppose like friends and family and uh, how, how did that all unfold it started with all of us always working basically out of hotels and this lifestyle of just like you go for dinner and drinks and you don't have a set routine or like hobbies doing sports that started being a little bit like not enough for me so you, you know i always joined like the local volleyball club and tried to do something extra and we ended up playing badminton uh yeah. every now and then and do climbing and i read this book um called the escape manifesto and i was talking about like micro experience and and how like you always get this carrot dangled above your head if it's the next promotion or you get into some sort of loan or credit that will lock you in, but you have to like rely on your salary, whatever it is at this point in time. So I was like starting to do a lot more of those uh, micro experiences, which basically means go away for a weekend and maybe just like camp somewhere or do a big bike ride. And um, before I even asked for the sabbatical, I remember the year before I had, I set myself this challenge that every month of the year, I'm going to get out of the UK somewhere else. And it was easy because living in Europe, you know, you go to Poland. I went going to Germany. My brother lives there with, with his kids, so it's quite an easy one. I went to Spain and did my skydiving license. Uh, yeah, I went to Cyprus and different places. Some places I went to several times. I think actually one month I didn't manage to get out of the UK. What so out of those 12 months, I missed out on one. So what, out of 12 months of the year, you actually managed to get away once a month? Apart Correct. from once that's impressive. What? Little, little trips, sometimes just two or three days. Was that for what you had to do? Say again, one more time. Say it one more time. Do you remember what year that was? I think that was 2014. Okay, yeah. Or 15. Well, I think, yeah, 15, because 2016 I went backpacking traveling. That was my sabbatical. Was it 2016 you went as well? We went in the same year. I thought you left a year before me. No, so actually, when I came back from my sabbatical, I was still officially employed by uh, IBM. Only in January 2017, I handed in my resignation and said, I'm, I'm leaving. So up until then, I was essentially still an IBM employee. So when did you leave, though, 2016? You went away for a few months. 12 months. So 12 months. Oh, yeah. It was the beginning of 2016. Then I left mid-2016. Yeah, yeah, correct. I remember quite a lot of our peers started, started going on sabbaticals. And I left in January, and you had no option of getting a paid sabbatical. And about three months later, they were offering like a percentage of your salary to be paid because IBM wasn't doing great financially. 
And instead of like laying people off, they were like, oh, go on a sabbatical and we'll pay you like 15 to 20 or 30 percent or something like that. And I was like, I missed out there. That's amazing. Yeah, but I think um, I wanted to actually just go away for like much longer. So those are normally like three months or so. But to go away for like a good year or two or however, I mean, that's unpaid. If anyone was to pay you to go away for that long, <laughs> sign me up on that contract. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I'd, with a whole year, I wouldn't have had the option to get anything paid for that. Exactly. With the um, 12 months that you were away, did you actually end up coming back to IBM after that or did you just quit after the 12 months? No, I, I quit after the 12 months. Um, after quitting, I realized I didn't have a job lined up straight away. And I uh, was briefly in talks with a team to maybe do some freelancing, but it would have been way too expensive freelancing and they didn't require it at that time. So kind of like I should have potentially stayed for one or two months longer and gone back to the office but like in my head after a whole year wearing flip-flops and growing my hair out essentially because I started the year 2016 with short hair and I basically have not just trimmed the hair as you can see uh, now like it's still long from that year I couldn't see myself putting on the suit or a tie or a shirt or anything like that I was just like I was like if I step back in there am I going to be sucked in I was like managed to distance myself and like a lot of things change I never set out on the sabbatical. You know, some people go traveling and they're like, I want to find myself. I want to really like go on this journey. I just wanted to experience the world. I wanted to see the places. I wanted to have a bit of fun. I didn't want to have to think about work, but just hike and see nature and do all these amazing bucket list things like Machu Picchu, for instance. Um, but on the way, you do start like understanding a little bit more like, you know, what do I care about? What is important to me? And a lot of people are like, oh, you, you're good with people. And you should do a role that's got something to do with people. And I didn't like, so that's a little bit when the uh, aspects came into my viewpoint, my perspective that I didn't like about the corporate world, the having a schedule and having to go, especially in the UK, to work when it's dark and then you leave when it's dark. And I really enjoyed throughout the year always being outdoors and always being in the sun. I had a bit of like a skin condition at the end of 2015 and just cleared out completely whilst traveling. It's like psoriasis, so like dry skin and stuff like that. So it's just like, I just have to do something that's outdoors and where I can just travel and, you know, move and talk to people. So I decided to then become a tour guide for Contiki. Contiki travels. Is that Australia? Was that New Zealand? I think it's it's a global thing, isn't it? It's global, but it's like Australian actually. I don't want to say it wrong now with the podcast, but I think it might have been a Kiwi that started, but it's an Australian company. You and 90% of the clients are Australian. So it's like, it's a rite of passage for Australians to do a Kotiki and to travel around. So like on all my trips, we're like 90% of the travelers were from Australia, yeah. So how long did you do the Kotiki touring for? For two years, pretty much. It's seasonal work, so it's usually like a very high intensity uh, summer season so I did trips around Europe and then they also did have a winter season but there was a little bit calmer there weren't as many trips it didn't require as many hosts uh, as many tour guides but then with a lot of the tour guides from Australia they preferred to go back to Australia so some of us that were European it was easier to take those winter trips on and it's so funny because everyone was like 
uh, telling me like, oh my God, what are you doing? You're giving up this good career of IBM to become a tour guide and a chaperone for these teenagers because Kuntiki does trips from, for 18 to 35 year olds. Ended up being actually financially a very good um, uh, kind of like move for me because um, you can work half a year and pretty much almost earn the same amount as, as I was working for uh, IBM because a lot of it was tips or cash in hand that you don't get taxed on. And um, skills wise, like I adopted this mentality that whatever job I take on, I don't just want to do it for any reason or just for money. I want to, you know, grow personally. So for me, it was kind of like build on some of the uh, sales skills, presentation skills, dealing with logistics and operations. And um, yeah, I've, I've seen myself actually in having a full on career because once you did like two or three years with Contiki, you could graduate to one of the like sister or daughter companies. It's like a, it's like a big umbrella company, but owns like 50 of those. And that's when you start doing tours for slightly older uh, kind of like age group. And that's when you get paid a lot better as well than with Contiki. Yeah, I mean, it's still quite a lot of brain power that you had to use. So I remember you were saying how you had to learn about like all the local places, like the history, where to go, helping people. Maybe you had to do some first aid type training like there's there's still a lot of things that you had to actually use your brain for it's not like oh I'm just walking around and flip-flops and throwing my hair you're actually because <laughs> some people have that misconception of you know oh someone goes away they're not doing anything with their lives you know and if they're not going to a nine-to-five job or so well, what are they doing <laughs> oh yeah like you're essentially a, an entrepreneur you're self-employed to to be able to be a tour guide and you get given tours but then you're responsible for like organizing your talks organizing how you do things on the coach because like you have to do certain things and contact the hotels and the restaurants and sell like side excursions where you make commission on and make money on and everyone always goes like oh my god you've got the dream job you travel and have fun all the time it's like there's a lot that goes behind it and like those talks um or like the history talks that we had to give on coaches we're not qualified uh, historians or actually guides. We often in certain cities would have local guides that specialized and studied and got certifications. And in some places we weren't even allowed to give certain talk, talks like in Rome because you can only give them in front of certain monumental sites or monuments. Uh, if you had a license, we would be chased away if we tried to. Um, so trying to do it, let's say one trip, you would go for 12 countries to have the histories in your mind about those 12 countries, all the different statues and sites and everything it has been, yeah, I remember like last minute sometimes looking for my notes, but like, oh, what am I going to be telling them? I hope I don't tell them any lies or any incorrect things. And when you go for like Roman history and you actually sometimes had history buffs, I think once or twice I like got the facts wrong or got a date wrong or something. And someone's like, oh, by the way, like, like you feel a little bit stressed, but then you have to emphasize guys like, I know a little about a lot of different things rather than a lot about like one thing like Roman history, let's say, or something like that. That's like being a T-shaped from Dublin. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's like a consulting thing. It's like, you know, knowing a lot about lots of different things, but then specialising in, in one thing. Because you use Wikipedia a lot then. <laughs> All sorts of different things. Yeah, Wikipedia, YouTube videos that, that tell you about like the different cities and uh yeah i had my favorite even bbc they have like 
some nice little rundowns on countries. We get to learn about the history and the current situation, if there's any conflicts and stuff. And we had to actually write a massive assignment. It's like the biggest piece of work I've ever done, even compared to university, where you had to do information about the geographical kind of like landscape of the country, social political situation, uh, any quirky things about it, like what type of foods, inventions, or what, what VIPs come from that country. So you had that, you had the histories, you had the walking tours, city tours, so they were run from the bus as you drive. And I remember in Paris, there was like a hundred something sites and you had to learn the sites off by heart, know the facts about them and do the tour backwards because you had to face the, uh, the individuals on the coach, but you had your back to the, to the, to the windscreen. So you'd have to have like pointers. Like if you see this, it means the next site is coming up soon. The stress, the training for it was like one of the most intense things I ever went through in my life. The Contiki tour guide training. You must have learned so much though. Like that's really impressive. <laughs> I learned a lot, but it also goes out quite quickly because I <laughs> commit a lot of things to short term memory and then it doesn't stick for long. So this is like one to two years after you've left. So at this stage, like how are you feeling? Do you are you missing home? Are there any negatives during the first couple of years? No, not really, except that you are working was a lot of a lot of the travelers were younger than me and they had just so much energy and just partied every night. And sometimes we're like travel all this way to Europe and you have like the Colosseum or the Sistine Chapel and they're absolutely hungover, cannot do it. Or sometimes even miss some of these tours because they're sleeping in because they had a rage, raging party the previous night. So that's always started like misaligning with my lifestyle where I was like a little bit more like I still want to explore, still want to travel loads, but I didn't necessarily need to party all the time. And like um, I, I ended up doing Scandinavia and Russia tours and there was definitely less partying because it attracted a lot more mature travelers and it's too expensive. Like no one no one wants to party in Norway or Sweden because you, <laughs> you'll, you'll be broke at the end of it. So it was a lot nicer and I really enjoyed it. That was actually my second year, so my final year with Contiki. So I really, really enjoyed that. But I haven't started missing home or career or anything like that. But the one thing I started missing was routine because with these trips, you're in the city for two or three days. So you can't even join a, a volleyball. Like you're constantly with these 50 individuals and you're responsible for them. And you like come and go, you don't even unpack. You just like open up your little bag or suitcase and then pick up the next polo shirt for the next day. Yeah. And are you based from anywhere at all or is it just straight traveling? Great traveling. I would I would have my things at my parents' house in London. And the Contiki in Europe is based out of London. So most of the trips were starting from there and finishing there. So it's convenient for me. Some some of uh, my Australian friends that were tour guides, they found some bases in Europe or they would actually just stay in, in hostels or hotels in between trips and then just do the season and then go home or travel in the free time. But the nicest aspect was certainly... Um, seeing new countries i've like ticked off so many countries in europe just just through that and i think i'm now up to 70 countries like globally that i've visited and the fact that you work six months and you've got six months off like that was that was mind-blowing to me i was like hey what am i doing this next six months i don't have work that i have to do so i went to bali for like two months i ended up going skiing for like a whole month 
end up doing like lots of lots of longer trips where you just kind of like stay in the place and just enjoy it with the people that you meet there or people that you organize the trip with. I'm so jealous right now. Okay, so after those two years, you came back and you quit your job like formally, had to your resignation, and then you didn't have a job. What did you do? Um, no, not even. So with Contiki, the way that it went, um, Diego, a friend from university, uh, which you've met as well, I've lived with him and he's always been like an entrepreneur at, at heart. He's always started these this, this new crazy ideas and businesses. And then in 2016, he broke through and started Wi-Fi Tribe, uh, which is the community company that I, I had built with him and had run with him. And I visited him in Ecuador. Say again. What does Wi-Fi Tribe do? Tell us a bit about Wi-Fi Tribe. Yeah, Wi-Fi Tribe is a community for remote professionals, essentially. It's a value-based community. So some of the values that are very close to our hearts are like respect, passion, camaraderie, and just to mention three, three of those. And um, it's a community that you apply to become a member and you have to have some sort of remote work. doesn't matter what it is. If you have your own job or if you work remotely for, for Microsoft, which we have members uh, that do that, and then Wi-Fi Tribe organizes trips that can be four to eight week long. So we call them chapters, like a chapter in your life. And then we put up to 25 individuals onto those chapters. And then you can basically bounce around with Wi-Fi Tribe from location to location because we have like every month different chapters and every month we have multiple chapters in different locations. So what it basically uh, solves is that a lot of individuals that travel and work, they feel lonely. And when they go to hostels, it doesn't quite match because you have to work, whereas everyone else is going on like little side trips and having fun and enjoying themselves. And you're like, ah, oh, I kind of want to, but I have to do the work because otherwise I won't get paid. So this gives you a community. You can just plug straight into this community whilst also still traveling and exploring. And the nice thing for me was that it was like four weeks minimum at a time. So you actually plug into a place, you can then find a sport that you want to do there or find a hobby or some sort of routine that you can base your, like, your life around. Yeah. I remember when um, Diego like, first started it, I think since then, now it's grown into like, a much bigger thing, which is like, it's, it's amazing. How many, how many people do you guys have on chapters, like on each, every chapter? Yeah, we have from between 12 to 25 people per chapter. And we ran before the pandemic up to six chapters. So like six times 20 roughly is, is, is what we have. So 120 per month. The community has grown to a thousand members. And per year, I'd say about 400 to 500 are active, active. And yeah, it's, it's really cool. We also now offer longer trips. And I remember I was still with Contiki and I was signed up for the summer season but I ended up going to Ecuador to visit Diego, my friend, the co-founder of Wi-Fi Tribe, in Ecuador because it was his birthday and there was a chapter there. So I joined them and I remember being in Galapagos and I was like, oh, I miss that because it reminded me of my 2016 sabbatical. And I was like, I miss also like it being a little bit slower and not like changing city every day and just being the chaperone of 50 youngsters partying <laughs> and the stuff that happens with that, you can you can imagine. That's, that's a whole podcast for another day. Um, 
and we basically shook hands there in Galapagos in the beach that I'm going to help Wi-Fi tribe run their chapters. So it's also still kind of in line with the tour guiding, but way less tour guiding. You're kind of like um, just setting up a little bit, and then you're like the members working from there. And I ended up doing a lot of operational things for Wi-Fi tribe after that too. Yeah, I suppose you set up like a temporary home and it actually builds like this community with the same people. So you can actually build relationships and get to know people um, and do things together that you like. Sounds like a dream. I know. Is Wi-Fi Tribe just based out of the continent or is it literally all across the world then? All across the world, yeah. I've never heard of it before. I probably have shared the link. I'm intrigued. But... <laughs> so right right now we have a uh, chapter finishing in Costa Rica and Santa Teresa. We've got another one in Ecuador and Cayambe. We've got one in Antigua, Guatemala. Next month there's a group going to La Paz. And yeah, there's like at a given period of, of, of time, like a month, we have usually like four or five locations. And then every month there'd be other locations. You can hop, you can take some time off and do your own thing and then go back to the, the, the community thing. Um, it's Pretty cool. I, sorry, sorry, I was going to say, I always think that like with COVID happening last year, it would have slowed down a little bit, like slowed you guys down. But then I feel like now as companies especially are introducing permanently working remotely, I would think that more and more people are getting into this. Is that a correct assumption? 100%. I mean, COVID kicked our ass like it has pretty much the whole tourism and travel industry, we survived purely because we've been pretty agile. We're a small team and we've bootstrapped the whole company and the community. So we didn't have any external investment that suddenly like people were really worried about their money and needed returns. Because for nine months last year, we barely existed. We've done some online, like, you know, every other industry has turned into Zoom and online sessions or some sort of experiences. That's what we did. Uh, but it was tough. Like we were for almost a whole year on 50% salaries and we've been working harder than that. We basically went back to startup mode after like four years. And just before the pandemic, we had the strongest, biggest, best quarter ever. And we're like finally breaking through here. And then, yeah, we went to startup mode trying to like revitalize and rethink and like, how can we make this sustainable? How can we survive? And now, yeah, we've been flooded with applications. I mean, currently we're struggling to, to, interview the amount of people that are applying to join Wi-Fi Tribe because what we thought is going to take five to ten years happened like in one year and like basically the pandemic just made so many people remote that was a a very odd thing to do to travel and 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 work but now it seems it's going to be a lot more of a norm yeah I think I think now that our our ways of working have changed a lot and a lot of people are working from home you're going to find like a big tribe of people trying to do stuff like like Wi-Fi tribe. Like you've definitely, it's caught my attention now. I'm definitely going to look into it. Um, so if anyone is actually listening and is interested, where can we find Wi-Fi tribe? Yeah, you can find us on Instagram or just the website, wifi-tribe.co, and just follow follow the journey and have a look if it's something that interests you and, and apply. Amazing. And do you have to be interviewed? Yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty nice because it's a value-based community. So we um, want to make sure that everyone aligns with that, and we also want to make sure that Wi-Fi Trap is the right fit for the individual. There's some other communities and companies out there that do a lot more logistics and hand-holding, 
Whereas with us, it's like, it's all about co-creation and uh, that everyone gets involved, like the, the community aspect of it, essentially. Have you guys ever had instances where someone's like not quite gelled with people and had difficult situations? Plenty, <laughs> for sure. You put in any scenario, you put people together, even after like interviews and it just different personality types sometimes trigger different things in individuals. Yeah, and we've also had individuals that we removed from the community because they weren't really aligned with it. So, um, yeah, it, it, it happens. But uh, the majority of a community, the community in general is like absolutely amazing and like super supportive towards each other. But like with anywhere, and like, you know, even at the workplace, you sometimes make a bad hire and then you have to like, you know, remove or, or fire a person as well. Being humans, I suppose, we don't all get along. <laughs> exactly. It's a shame. So what would you say is the best thing, like from doing this experience, like what is like the highlight and the, the key thing for you that you've like found or cultivated or experienced? It's a very deep question because <laughs> there's so many answers to it potentially as well. Um, I mean, the, the memories that I'm going to have from all these years, the sabbatical and the traveling with Kuntiki and the traveling with uh, Wi-Fi tribe, no one is ever going to be able to take that away. And it's not just memories. It's all lessons and learnings. And I think as an individual, as a person, I've grown so much by having met so many people, experienced so many situations, the good, the bad. And yeah, I, I think it's just a constant journey of growth essentially uh, that never never ends and it's just been nice to be able to do it like almost globally as well across like all the different dimensions and not just in in one city and one country yeah that's, that's awesome and um do you get to hang out with diego and your like friends as well around the yes, world yes that was that was actually one of the reasons also for taking the the role and helping out with wi-fi tribe and and, and working with wi-fi tribe is I wanted to work on new different skills. So I kind of like did the sales stuff and other things with Contiki. I now wanted to do a little bit more about people management, team management and operations and a little bit like higher level strategy. And one of the other goals was to actually, you know how they say surround yourself with the five people that inspire the most. You're, you're the average of the five people around you. And like I've always admired Diego and he's an inspiration and motivation. I was like, I want to, he's like one of my best friends. I was like, I want to see him more. And I was like, what well, the best way to do that is to work with him. Okay. And then obviously he was running trips and I was running trips. We were opposite sides of the world, but we also managed to, to see each other in person quite a bit, 2019, 2020. Just recently he was here in, in Florida as well, briefly uh, for a couple of days. So yeah, more than if I wouldn't have worked with him. As you're describing like all the skills and things that you're you're picking up, there are so many parallels as well with the corporate world. Mm -hmm. So you know, people management, time management, um, people management. <laughs> so <laughs> the hardest thing, right? Um, it's that emotional intelligence and building that up and knowing how to navigate. You know, when you're in a crisis and um, you just get to do it in this sort of new world sort of way which is really pretty awesome. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with a corporate world. I, I said at the beginning, I 
enjoyed it back then and it really equipped me to to go on this path because I was able to put money aside. There's so many amazing perks about it. You remember, you know, staying in hotels, collecting points, getting like all these hotel points and get a get a you know company car and it, it was good and also the training that you get sometimes from these like top end companies it's like the most expensive training you'll ever be able to afford because if you're a freelancer and self-employed you're not going to spend that much money or you'll think twice about it because it's coming directly out of a pocket out of your pocket rather than your employer's pocket but yeah like likewise the, the nomadic route is not for everyone either some people just feel very um like they don't feel grounded they need to have like a space somewhere so like you said actually there's very similar or even the same learnings that you can get from from both of these journeys so it's nice to look at it as like oh it's just another alternative to almost do the same thing except you it's like a different perspective right yeah finding what works for you i suppose um and did you also meet your fiance through wi-fi tribe Yes, I did indeed. Oh, I love story. Congratulations. So yeah, it's it's amazing because now we share this common lifestyle where we um, can travel. I know for a lot of individuals uh, that are nomadic, they actually struggle with that. They're like, oh, but I need to have someone that is kind of like travels as well because otherwise it's not going to match if I, you know my partner wants to stay at home but I want to move around. And um, yeah, we, we met a while ago uh, whilst traveling through, through Wi-Fi trap for the chapters. And uh, it is it is a really cool uh, little, little love story, essentially. Sweet. Do you guys think you'll always be traveling? To some extent, I think so, yes. Um, be it escaping winters for a certain amount of time, or just the desire to, you know, different cultures, different types of foods, or our circle of friends is just so global now. If you want to see them, You've got to travel and our families are also like spread around the world so we'll have to you know travel and we, we love uh, nature and adventures like hikes and stuff like that so i can see us always venturing a little bit further like oh good let's go to this country because you know we're going to learn something new there and we'll be able to push ourselves in a certain certain way as well that's awesome aren't you where in the world are you right now where i am right now i'm in florida in the u.s Oh, nice. Okay. And is that where you're going to be based for a while now? Or is that just somewhere you landed during COVID? Well, for now, for now, uh, my fiance Lauren actually has been living here or has been based here and her parents are here. So we're here temporarily. But we'll, also with COVID, there wasn't as much options, as many options where you can go. So we're planning to to go to, to Europe at some point where she'll be allowed. So being an international couple... It's another complication with uh, global travel and stuff like that and finding a base and family planning. There's a lot of different things that, that come into that you have to factor in. And uh, yeah, she's, for example, not allowed into certain most of the countries in Europe at the moment. The UK, yes. Um, but for instance, I would be able to go to Germany. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be here for a little while. But before that, we were in Costa Rica and Guatemala and Mexico. So it's the first time we're like in the US since 2021. And as a seasoned traveller now, because I think we can call you that, um, what advice would you give someone that's well, is working in the corporate world, is probably thinking of doing something like what you're doing, but essentially they're just too scared to do it because it is a very big step to take. And 
I think it's important to sort of realise that everyone is different. I think a lot of people thrive in a corporate environment and some people just don't. And for me, personally speaking, I know that I absolutely do not thrive in a corporate environment. It's like the opposite of anything I am or what I want to do or just my character. As well. Yeah, so I, so but some people just find them, find themselves sort of caught up in this corporate environment, want to get out, but just don't know how to or just too scared to take that step. So if you were to give some advice to someone like that, what would it be? Take that leap of faith. I uh, when people told me like, why are you doing this? Don't do this. Like you're giving up a really good career. You could be earning so much more money. Um, but it's essentially not about money. It's about your satisfaction and your growth. And I always explain it to the individuals. What's the worst that's going to happen if it doesn't work out? And I know it's a very privileged point of view, but I could always go to my parents' house. And with the experience from the corporate world, I knew I have enough skills to get a job somewhere else. So I wasn't scared. And people were like, oh, but what if, um, you know, you're not up to date with the technology anymore? You've been out for too long. I'm like, technology's moved so quickly. It's almost beneficial. If you stay in, you're going to be going to say Python. It's going to get outdated. And there's this new technology that's, that's out. And you will have a chance to actually jump into, into the industry again by reskilling before you before you jump in. So I always say, what's your worst case scenario? You're gonna live at a friend's house or at your parents' house for two, three, four, five months and get yourselves back up on the road? That's not bad at all. Yeah. I think, I think it's important to sort of cut out the noise because a lot of people do question decisions. It's, it's very easy to sort of judge someone or someone's, you know, a decision someone's made because, you know, and also to be influenced by people around you, especially like if you come from a more traditional family, you know, yeah. and, and those types of things. Um, so j just to wrap up, um, do, you, do you have any like final questions you want to ask? Um, no, I was going to ask him about his love life because I was intrigued to see if <laughs> after travelling for so long, is it possible to find love? But you, you've confirmed that for us now. Thank you. <laughs> there is hope. You can. There's hope. <laughs> <laughs> So that's you awesome. um, thank you for that, Carol. I think that was really um, interesting. We'll put like a link and stuff to the Wi-Fi Tribe page and everything. And if people wanted to reach out to ask you questions, uh, can they do that through Wi-Fi Tribe? Yeah, absolutely. I don't use social media that much, so like I have Instagram, but I don't get any notifications. That's not the best way. Actually, no. LinkedIn would be would be otherwise the other good place, or through Wi-Fi Tribe. Yeah. Essentially. And do we get a pass on the interview if we decided to apply? We don't need to interview, do you? Surely, surely this is not Shadi's already done like one of the first trips. Wasn't he beta like part of it, semi part of it? I can't remember. I wasn't I wasn't I don't know, was that a first one? That that was just part that that wasn't really working that was just party central <laughs> like yeah no that wasn't that wasn't the first one was was bolivia in 2016 so but diego's idea to get people together kind of like started with, with some of these trips the one that's been to. Yeah. no that's awesome thank you so much for that that was really yeah, great that was, uh, thanks for having me actually thank you 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star review. Nothing more. Nothing less. If you haven't enjoyed it, please keep your opinions to yourself. You can get in touch with us on Instagram at nomilk2sugars. Or email us at nomilk2sugars at outlook.com. Until next time. Bye.